Amen. Isaiah 38 this morning. I preached to you about preparing to die. Preparing to die. And I hope nobody is having to prepare to die. I hope nobody's on their way to death. But I, I will say in another sense, you are. You was on your way as soon as you was born. And so you, I, hope, I hope you don't wait until you get news that you're going to die until you start making preparations. That's not a good idea. So look here in Isaiah 38, and let's look in verse 1. The Bible said, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Now that phrase, when he says, Set thy house in order, that will certainly has a lot of devotional truth to it as far as, I make a lot of comments about that as far as preaching goes. Uh, you need to set your house in order before you leave this world. But really, I want to just explain in a, in a very actual technical sense, that, word is, that phrase is just a phrase that's used for folks before they get ready to die. Before you die, you make out a will. Right? You say, well, when I, when I leave, this person's going to get this and this person's going to get that. And, hey, y'all make sure you get this taken care of and all that. He's talking about setting your house in order. And that's not, this is not just something that's said to Hezekiah. It's said to many men before they leave this world and go into the next. And so that's what he's saying. He says, set thy house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart. It's possible. You see that? It's possible. I've walked before thee with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. That's possible too. And Hezekiah wept sore. Don't you think you'd do that if you got news that you was getting ready to leave? I, I tell you, I love this life. I really do. I, I really want the Lord to come back. I want the rapture to take place because there's a lot of things about this life that I don't like. I don't like the way that my country's going. Amen. I don't like, I don't like all the reprobation that's so prevalent here in this world. I, a lot of things I don't like. I don't like every aspect of the curse that I have to deal with. I'm only 33. I think I have to stop and do the math every time somebody asks me how old I am. And I can't do math hardly, so I just throw a number out there, but I think I'm 33 years old, but boy, man, in the last year, I feel like I've gotten, I've aged about five extra years in just one year, but that, you say, what is that? That's just part of the curse, just part of the curse, and I don't like those things, but I tell you this, I love this life, and boy, if the Lord came to me and told me, hey, you got just a couple of weeks left, you're getting ready to leave, I think I'd probably do exactly what Hezekiah did, I'd find a place and get in a corner and cry. I really would. I, I enjoy this life. I like my family. I don't endure my family. I, I like my family. Of course, my youngest child gets on my nerves sometimes. Of course, they all get on my nerves. My wife gets on my nerves. I got to say something to get y'all woke up this morning. Brother Spike killed y'all preaching against Leonard Skinner, I guess. So I'm going to tell you, my wife gets on my nerves. Do you want me to tell you what all No, I'm not going to tell you what all she does to get on my nerves. But, hey, but I love my family. I love my church. I really love my church. Uh, don't you know if I have family members that get on my nerves, my, 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 church, my fellow church members, they get on my nerves too? That's just, part, that's just the way it is. That's just part for the course. But I love y'all. Man, if I found out tomorrow that, buddy, you got two weeks to live, I'd cry. I, I really would. I love, I love the things that the Lord has let me have. I really do. I, we, we live in a, in a time and place to where prosperity has led this country away from God. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. You do right and you live right and you live clean and God will bless you. There's spiritual blessings for that. But there are some physical blessings. There are some physical blessings. You learn how to do right as far as your finances go and God will let you have a little extra money. Of course, a lot of times... You do wrong with your finances and God will still let you have a little extra money. I, I, I appreciate that, man. Watching God do what he does. Man, I love this life. I really love this life. Uh, I love my kids. I can't imagine how some of you grandparents feel loving your grandkids. Hey, man, that's probably a great blessing. But here you got a fellow here, Hezekiah, King Hezekiah. He's getting ready to go to the grave. The Lord said, hey, you better start making preparations. You're getting ready to go. 
And I can't think of a better response to have to that news than what Hezekiah did this morning. He made preparations to die. And I want to look at that for a little while this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for your goodness to us. And I pray that you'd help me as I preach this morning. I pray you help me to be instructive, God. I pray that you deal with the hearts of your people, God, that are here this morning. God, I pray that you'd stir us up, God, and help us to see and understand how we can begin to make preparations now. And I, I pray, Lord, that there's nobody in here, Lord, that we get bad news about this week, Lord, health or death or anything like that. But God, I pray that you'd help us not to wait until our dying day to start getting ready for death, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to begin to make preparations today. Lord, help us, God, we pray, Lord, speak to our hearts and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Some folks make very strange preparations to die. Uh, I don't know what you do, what you've done in your life as far as preparing to die. Some folks take out a life insurance policy, and I, I'm not sure I, how I feel about that because all that looks like to me is if I took out a million-dollar policy on myself, that would be an encouragement for my wife to hire a mafia job on me. So I just, if I took out a million-dollar policy, I'm not sure I'd tell her. Keep that to myself. Say, so y'all dead on that too. That's all right. I'm trying. I'm trying to get y'all woke up. But you know, death is coming. You know death has come. The Bible says wages of sin is death. You say, well, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. Yeah, but in your flesh, boy, we're still sinners, ain't we? And because of that, because of that death is coming, death is sure. Barring the rapture, death is going to come knocking on your door one day. Barring the rapture. And if the rapture takes place, you get to bypass that thing. Enoch in the Old Testament is a great example of that. The Bible says that Enoch, <coughs> excuse me, walked with God and he was not for God took him. Amen. Amen. He had this testimony, the Bible says, just to throw this in there in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, I believe it is. He said that he had this testimony that he pleased God. I'd like to have that same testimony. But all I'm telling you is that unless the rapture takes place, you're going to die. You just, you're going to die. Life is fragile. Life is real fragile. I don't know if you ever stop and think about that. I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about death. I really don't. But every once in a while, I, I go, I got the... Take the, I took the opportunity, I was asked really to come sit with an older gentleman who is my uncle by marriage. He's my great uncle by marriage. It was my papa's, my mother's, daddy's, sister's husband. How you like that? Can you follow all that? But anyways, it's my, my great uncle by marriage and I went and sat with him and he's now 80 some years old, worked many years out at the mill here at Gilman Paper Company over here in St. Mary's and he's a frail old man right now. Real frail, 82 years old. I was talking to him about me trying to put on some weight the other day because I'm real proud about it. I talk about it every chance I get. I put on an extra 15 pounds or so, so I got to brag about that. But I was talking to him. He said, yeah. He said, at one time I weighed 180 pounds. He said, he said here in the last couple of weeks I got down to 124. Man, you don't realize, you don't realize all it would take, all it takes is just one bit of bad news for your whole world to be turned upside down. Life is so frail. Life is so fragile. Man, it's just so fragile. The Bible says here in Isaiah 38, it says in those days Hezekiah died. No, it says he was sick. He just got sick. Uh, we've seen folks, we've seen folks in this church, we, some of you folks have uh, family members, and all it takes, all it takes all it took this past year, this COVID stuff, all it took for them was just to get sick. And then all of a sudden, man, in a couple of weeks, they're gone. If it took that long, somebody got an underlying issue, got some, some kind of diabetes or got some kind of heart trouble, they get this thing. And, man, it's real bad news. Pass from this world on into the next, whichever way they're going. You know what that proves? It just proves that life is fragile. You, you, can set up, you can set up your life and you can go to the doctor and you can go to the dentist and you can go uh, have your skin checked out and make sure you ain't got skin cancer. You can do this and you can do that. But I'm telling you, all it takes is just one little area of bad news and your whole life is getting ready to be turned upside down. Your whole life is getting ready to be turned from your feet on the bottom to your head on the bottom. Just getting ready to go south is what's fixing to happen. David said, David, a man after God's own heart, I believe it was David anyway, he said, there's but a step between me and death. You know, in order for you to get from the inside of this building to the outside, all it takes is for you to step to that door and turn the knob and open it up and take one step. You know how far you are from eternity this morning? Just one step. Just one. And you don't know, listen, you don't have any control over that. 
I sat with that older gentleman, Uncle David. I sat with Uncle David this, uh, I believe it was Friday. I sat with him Friday morning. And uh, he said, you know, he said, I don't know when I'm going. 82 years old, he said, I don't know when I'm going. He said, but I know who does know. And I said, he said, I know that he's got the final say over that. And boy, it's real easy for somebody to be in their 80s to take that attitude. But boy, you take a 33-year-old fella. Boy, you take somebody that's in the prime of their youth, maybe in your teenage years or in your 20s. Or maybe even some of you folks that are in your 50s and 60s and you just go on and you live life and you think, man, it just, it's not that you think that you're invincible. It's not that you think that it's never going to happen to you. It's just you don't think about it. It's just something that never enters your mind. And because of that, a lot of people don't make preparations. You know, some of you folks sitting in here this morning, I feel a little led to just belabor here for a second. You know, some of you folks this morning, you just don't know I'm trying to scare you, to be honest. I'm trying to get you to walk in a little bit of fear. Some of you folks are probably sitting here this morning, and you're a ticking time bomb. Something's already at work in your body. Something's already at work in your mind. And all it would take is one snap of the fingers from the Lord. And, man, it's just downhill from where you go. I knew of a fellow up in Canada. His name was uh, Grant Patton. Uh, Grant Patton went to a church up there, Brother Chuck Colson's, and I... I spent a little time up there at Brother Colson's, got to know Brother Grant Patton. He's only about this tall. I don't know how tall that is, but he was a pretty short fellow. Owned a bicycle shop, had a good family, had a wife, and had uh, two boys and two girls. One of his girls was married. Three girls, I'm sorry. One of his daughters was married, and the other, all the rest of the kids lived at home. And uh, that fellow got bit by a tick a long time ago. Got bit by a tick many years ago out hunting for elk. And uh, somewhere along the lines, he got Lyme's disease and never knew it. And all of a sudden, something took place that aggravated that disease that was already at work in his body. And man, that fellow went from 240 pounds down to 90-some pounds. Oh, just, just about overnight. And health care in Canada is not like it is in the United States. It's all social, socialized health care. All these nuts talk about we need social health care. You just about already got it, by the way. But nonetheless, they talk about socialized health care. What you don't understand about getting socialized health care is that when you get to a certain place, man, doctors lose interest in giving you great uh, health care because it's all paid for by the government. And the government tells them how much they're going to get paid. So they lose a lot of initiative. And so health care in, in, in Canada is not as good as it is here in the state. That fella here in the States, he had to wait in line for a long time to even get seen by a doctor. And when he got seen, there wasn't much that they'd do for him. He went through hyperbaric chamber treatments, man. They could put some stuff in his bathtub trying to draw that stuff out of him. I mean, they went through all this homopathic or homeopathic. I'm kind of scared of homopathic stuff. It reminds me of too much of something else. But anyways... But he got, he got involved in all kinds of stuff, and boy, it finally took him. They went through a process of about four years trying to get that guy back on his, on his feet. His wife, before it, before it was all said and done, his wife was carrying him from one area to the, of the house to the restroom just so he could use the restroom. Couldn't walk. It's already in there, already at work, man, just... All it took was for something to just be aggravated a little bit, and man, his whole world got turned upside down. Couldn't run his business no more. His boy had to run his business for him, his oldest boy, Matthew. It's a mess, man. But see, we sit here and we, we hear stuff like that, and you think about it, and you say, oh, my soul, yeah, that's really bad. And then you walk out the back doors of the church without any more consideration for it. You never, you never make any preparations. Man, what, what, what would happen if I got into a situation like that? How's my family doing? How am I doing with the Lord? Let me ask you something. Would you like to meet the Lord in the current spiritual shape that you're in right now? Some of you have never done anything for the Lord really to speak of. I understand, man, some of you really trying. God bless you. I pray the Lord just pour it on you and help you. Help you get understanding and help you go farther for the Lord. But some of you are still sitting like a bump on a log and just kind of unmoved and untouched by what God's trying to do in your heart and life and how God's trying to strive with you. Some of you might be sitting in here lost on your way to hell. I don't know. Man, would you want to meet God in the situation that you're in right now? 
Some of you got iniquity that's hiding in your heart and you're not willing to let anybody deal with that stuff. You're not willing to let the Holy Spirit deal with you about that stuff. It's not that you, there's something that you're holding on to and struggling with. It's something that you ain't even struggling with because you just don't care. You, you're just indifferent about it. You want to meet the Lord like that right now? You say, well, no, that's, that's, that's just not the case. You don't know. There's but a step between me and death. All it took, all it took. Listen, Isaiah didn't come into the presence of King Hezekiah and pronounce some hex on him. He didn't pronounce some curse. All he did was just came in and made an announcement. Hey, you better set your house in order. Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order. Thou shalt die. Thou shalt die and not live. You're getting ready to go to the grave. Speedy process. Speedy process. Have you thought about it? Have you made any preparations? Let me tell you something. If you're sitting in here and lost this morning, you're not ready. You're not ready. Listen, I'm going to tell you something this morning. You're not ready to live this life until you're ready to die. The reason that some of you find no purpose, the reason that some of you find no joy in the journey, the reason that some of you can't find any peace or happiness is because you're not ready to die. You don't know what's waiting for you on the other side. And what you do know is that you've lived a sorry life. You've lived a life of rascal. Maybe some of you young and sitting in here, you think, well, man, I ain't really got out and done all this other stuff. Yeah, but you know that Jesus is not on the inside. And you know if something takes place to you, something happens to you, boy, you're not going to heaven. You're not going to spend eternity with Jesus. You're going to spend eternity with the devil and his angels. That's where you're going. You're not, ready to, you're not ready to die. And because of that, you don't have any idea how to live. Have you made any preparations? Are you interested in making any preparations? Boy, boy I believe with all my heart, the great white throne of judgment is going to be a rough place. It's going to be a rough place. To, to, I, I don't know. I, I don't know who in here is saved and I don't know who, who isn't. I'm not trying to get no retreads this morning. I'm not trying to talk you out of your salvation. As far as I know, everybody in here, as far as I know, has made a profession of faith with maybe the exception of one or two folks. So I'm not trying to do that. But boy, you think about the folks that have sat in churches, little churches like this all across the United States and have listened to a preacher get up and plead with them for their soul and listen to a preacher get up and talk to them, have a mom and daddy that tried to take the scripture and open up and try and show them what, what's the right way. What's the way that you can know that your sins are forgiven and then stand before the God of all the universe, the one that not only made you, but then bled and died for your sins at Calvary because the Bible said, uh, God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. You're going to stand before that one and he's going to tell you, depart from me for I never knew you. Yeah. I had no idea who you are. Yeah, but Lord, you made me. Don't have no idea who you are. You're not ready. You're not ready. Some of you are saved. Some of you are saved. That trying to get you stirred up and think about the fact of whether or not you're ready. Are you ready to go into the next life? Are you ready to go into the next life? You're not ready to live until you're ready to die. And I tell you, some folks really think they're living. Let me speak to you young folks for just a second, if I may. There's going to come a day when you're going to have unbridled liberty. You're going to have unbridled liberty. You're not going to have mom and daddy breathing down your neck no more. And you're going to be able to make whatever decisions you want to make. And there's a grand possibility that you're going to get into a situation to where you think, boy, this is really living. I hope not, but you're going to get into a place to where you really think, boy, I'm, I'm having the time of my life. I get to do whatever I want to do. And some of it might be as simple as going, and, like Brother Mike Easter used to say, going and buying a pizza and cruising around in your car and eating that whole pizza all to, all to yourself. I wouldn't mind doing that myself. But some of you, it might be a little bit further than that might be significantly further than that. And I'm telling you, you're going to think that you're really living, but you don't know that the end thereof are the ways of death. All it's going to lead to, all the drunkenness and all the doping and all the fornication, all it's going to lead to, all it's going to lead to is a life of heartbreak. All it's going to lead to is just one more eternity, one more soul going off into eternity without God. It's just big distraction. Just a big distraction is all that it is. I... The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, it talks about a people who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I don't know. I don't know if you could totally get over the fear of death. I told you this morning that I really don't want to die. But I tell you this, in a sense, I'm not afraid of dying. I don't want to, but I'm not afraid of it. I don't want to. Is that clear? 
I'm not, I'm not trying to speak as a fool this morning. I love life. I think we've been through that. You understand that. But I'm telling you, I'm not afraid of dying. You say, why? I know where I'm going. You? You know where you're going when you die? You know things are patched up between you and the Lord? I was uh, worked out at the prison here not too long ago, and uh, the health service, not the, health, the, the director of nursing, they call her the D-O-N, Director of nursing, she came to me and she said, uh, she said, I was chaplain at the time. She said, uh, my mother's at home. She's been diagnosed with cancer. She said, uh, and she's really troubled about eternity. I forget how she put it, but she didn't say her soul and she didn't say salvation. She said, she's just really troubled. And uh, she said, would you come by and talk to her? I said, boy, I'd be glad to. And I went out there and I sat down with that lady. That lady's name was Miss Betty. And uh, I sat down with her, and, and uh, her husband was sitting there and began to talk to him and talk to, talk to her about her soul. And she gave me a real solid testimony of salvation. I talked to her husband. He gave me a real solid testimony of salvation. Somebody had led them both to Christ. And, boy, that lady was just sitting there weeping, just sitting there weeping. And I said, I said Miss Betty, I said, you've made, you've told me that you're saved, that you're on your way to heaven. I, she, said, she said, yeah, that's right. I said, I said, can I ask you as respectfully as I can? I said, uh, what you so tore up over? She, she broke down. She said, I'm just not ready to die. You know what that lady had sat there and done? That lady had sat there. She'd gotten saved somewhere along the lines. And now she sat in her house and just kept living the same old way that she'd always lived. Never done anything for the Lord Jesus Christ. And now in her dying day, she's getting ready to reckon with the God that made her, with the God that died for her sins, with the God that redeemed her soul from hell, redeemed her soul from all of her iniquities and her transgressions. And she's getting ready to go out and meet the one who loved her enough to give his life for her, and she ain't done nothing for him. Boy, just tear her up. Tear her up. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You sitting in here, you saved this morning? Well, you're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Man, woman, boy, girl, what have you done for him? What have you done for him? In that same passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The very next verse, he says, knowing therefore, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You're not going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and chew bubble gum and tell jokes. The same one who went all the way to Calvary for you. The same one that went all the way to Calvary for the, for the completion of the will of his Father. That's the one who's going to sit in judgment on your life. You can sit in a church this morning and you can say, Preacher, you ain't got no right to judge me. You ain't got no right to tell me how I ought to live. But that day, somebody's going to sit there and scrutinize your life and pick your life apart. And you ain't going to dare raise your finger and say, You don't have any right to judge me because he's got every right to judge everything that you have and have not done for him. He got every right. God's going to pick your, Jesus Christ is going to sit there and pick your life apart and dissect it. And I'm telling you, listen to me, on that day, it ain't going to matter how, how much of a grudge you had with old brother so-and-so. Stuff ain't going to matter. On that day, it ain't going to matter how bad somebody in the church hurt your feelings. And therefore, I just ain't coming back. On that day, it ain't going to matter that you woke up on Sunday morning with a headache and just didn't feel like going to church. On that day, listen, listen to me. On that day, it ain't going to matter that you was too bashful to walk up to somebody and hand them just a simple, hand them a gospel tract. It ain't going to matter. You throw up all those excuses. You throw up all those excuses right now. I do the very same thing. But you throw up all those excuses right now. But I'm telling you, on that day, when you're standing there looking at the one who bled and died for your sins, it ain't going to matter a whole lot. You're going to bow your head and shut your mouth. For the first time, unfortunately, I think, for the first time in eternity, it's going to finally dawn on you what Jesus did for you. You know, in the book of Revelation, I believe it's in Revelation chapter 1, the Lord makes it very plain that He in His glorified state, in His glorified state, not before He, not before he died, not before He was resurrected, after He was resurrected, He still got the wounds in His body that He bore at Calvary. 
when he rose from the dead, when he rose from the dead and he appeared to his disciples in the upper room, he said, look, boys, it's me. He went straight to Thomas eight days after the resurrection. He went straight to Thomas and said, put your fingers in the holes. Thrust your hand through where that soldier put his spirit. Thrust your hand through. See that it's me. It's I myself. You're going to stand before a God that bled, before Jesus Christ who bled and died for you with all the marks, with all the marks of what he bore for you at Calvary. What are you going to stand there with? Some folks, I, I believe with all my heart, they're going to stand there flat-footed and bare naked before Jesus because they ain't got nothing to show for their life. Have you done anything? Are you interested in anything? Does, does it trouble you? Does it bother you in your heart that, man, I ain't got much to show for Jesus right now, but boy, I want, I want something. You go on fishing. Go on fishing, you get on down there, and you start catching all these fish, and usually somewhere tied around a dock, or maybe you take it with you, there's a big, long string like that. And then a big, long needle on the end of that thing. You stick that thing through that fish's mouth and pull it out through the gill. That's so that you can tie it up to the dock and them fish won't get away. And then once you get ready to go down to the house, you just take that thing off and you just put it over your back and just carry it on and go down to the house. You know what they call that? They call it a stringer. Well, you know, the Bible said when Jesus Christ showed up to those apostles, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You got a stringer? You got a stringer? You got any folks you've ever led to the Lord? You say, well, I don't know how to lead anybody to the Lord. Whose fault is that? Boy, I'm telling you. Some of you folks have sat in church. You've sat in church for years. And you ain't made the first blasted attempt to get closer to the Lord. You ain't made the first blasted attempt to figure out how to lead somebody to Christ and yet you yourself know that you're saved. Can't you just tell somebody else what Jesus did for you? You got an understanding of what it's like to be saved. Why not just open your mouth and just say, hey, baptism ain't going to cut it. So I'm afraid I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings. You ain't afraid of hurting nobody's feelings down at your house and your home. Why has that ever stopped you? That's right. That's true. That's true. But see, we want to sit here and make church about all kinds of things, about other things than it really, it really not about. I want to have our little Sunday school program, and I, I, I love Sunday school. I'm not against Sunday school, but you know Sunday school ain't nowhere in the Scripture. I'm not going to stop it. Sunday, school, Sunday school's a good thing. I don't, have, I don't have the time to go into the history of how Sunday school got started, but I'll tell you what, Sunday school's a good thing, but it ain't nowhere in the Scripture. Soul winning's in the scripture. Trying to get you a stringer of men. Them old fish that you went out there fishing for. That's in the scripture. Yes, sir. You're going to leave this world having nothing to show for your life? I hope not. God have mercy. I hope not. Stand before the one that bled and died for you and the Lord says, okay, what'd you do for me? Well, I went to church. Well, that's good. What else did you do for me? Apostle Paul he got his head chopped off for my sake. Old Peter. Peter wrote first and second Peter. You know who was king when Peter was around? A fellow by the name of Nero. He was the emperor over Rome. You know what Nero was doing with Christians when Nero was around? He was taking them and impaling them through their back. He was taking a, 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 a stake and impaling them through their back and then they Coat them with pitch. They'd coat them with pitch. That's like napalm, if you will. Some of you don't know what napalm is. That's stuff that you light on fire. They'd coat them in pitch and then stick them in the ground. All through the king's, through the emperor's pathway in his garden, they'd light those Christians on fire. They'd use, them, they'd use Christians to light the emperor's garden at night. You know what Peter did? Peter went on. And you think because you got a virus that's getting ready to rock this world. We're past that, I think, now. But I'm telling you, Christians sit around and suck their thumbs and won't come to church because we got a cotton-picking virus that's rocking our world. And you think that's persecution. You think because a bunch of homosexuals will stand up and spit your way. You think you're going through persecution. They ain't putting you to death yet. We're messed up. We're messed up. 
Well, see, we Americans, this is all we've ever known. And so it's real hard to come out of our senses and finally look at things objectively. But I'm telling you, there's going to come a day where you're going to give an account for your life. My God, I hope you've got something to show for yourself. I never tried to give the preacher any problems. Well, God bless you for that. I hope, I hope you're faithful in church. I hope you're here every time the door is open. And God help you. God help you if you ain't got enough character to be here every time the door's open and you ain't got nothing wrong with you. Some folks have got some, some sincere physical problems that hinders them every once in a while. But if you ain't got no physical problems that hinder you and you can't bring yourself to show up in the house of God, something's bad wrong with your character. Hey, man. Boy, it's real quiet in here. It might need to be quiet. I, I don't know. I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to kill you this morning. I'm trying to stir you up and get you to see. This thing's real. This thing's real. I don't know about you. I hope it is. I don't know about you, but this to me is real. Old Lois, Ezra, I forget who it was. They were walking around here. And uh, they was... I forget what the question was, but it was something along the lines of, is God real? Talking about physical. Is he physical? I said, well, he's a spirit. The Bible says that God's a spirit. No man's seen God at any time. I said, but he's more real than the flesh on your bones. Yes, sir. Boy, it's coming. It's coming. You ready? Have you made preparations to die? You want to leave this world just like you are right now? Or you got things you need to get finished. You better get with it because you don't know. You don't know. Let me say, first of all, let me get on with this. I try to make this real short. My introduction was the longest part of the sermon. Let me say, first of all, that here in Isaiah 38, Hezekiah, he made preparations to die by turning his face to the wall. He turned his face to the wall. The wall in the scripture, a wall in the scripture is a picture of separation. It's a picture. When you get some chickens, some of you got some chickens down at your house, or you don't typically let those chickens free range all the time. You may turn them out during the day, but you don't do that at night. You put them in behind a wall, and you do that so that you keep your chickens in and keep the foxes or the possums or the coons out. And if somebody tries to get in, you shoot them, right? You, you shoot them old possums. You shoot them coons. You shoot them snakes. Them snakes will get in anyway. My soul. Make me nervous about them things. But wall, a wall, a wall is a picture of separation. You know what Hezekiah could do in his dying day? Hezekiah was able to turn his face and look towards a wall. You know what's going to happen with a lot of Christians when they get ready to die? You're going to get down to 60 and 70 years old and you're going to turn around to pray and you're going to turn and there ain't going to be no wall there for you to pray around. Because you ain't got no separation in your life. Some of you just live the same old way. Man, Brother, brother Spike hit that thing with Leonard Skinner. And I, I, we laugh and we joke about that stuff. I pray to God you ain't messing around with that slop. I forget where I was sitting the other day. And it's funny you mentioned it because sure enough, Leonard Skinner was playing. It wasn't Sweet Home Alabama. It was, I think, Freebird. You know where I heard Freebird from, Brother Spike? I never in my life have ever turned the radio on to find Leonard Skinner. You know where I learned it from? Church people. Church kids. Preacher's kids. That's probably where you heard it from too. Mm -hmm. No separation. And I, I'll just go ahead and trample on this for just a second. You know where those kids are right now? They're indulging in a bunch of southern gospel singers who look like transvestites and hippies. Amen. God help you if you're listening to the Irwins. Amen. You better put that stuff away. You, you, some of y'all don't even know who it is, but it don't make much difference to me. I'm just going to go ahead and warn you because I care about you. You better put that stuff down. Some of that southern gospel stuff, there is not any mark of separation about that at all. Well, I just like it because it makes me feel good. Elvis made a lot of whores feel good. I, I really try not to offend your sensibilities or mine, but at the same time, somebody got to talk plain about this stuff. People just, they get into this mentality of thinking that things are right because, well, it just makes me feel good. And, oh, well, you know, my kids sing those songs and they're singing them to the Lord. God's got cotton in his ears. God don't want to hear that slop. Yeah. 
Amen. Amen. God couldn't give a rip about that stuff. You know what's going on? You're going to get down to your dying day and try and turn around and pray and there ain't going to be no wall there because you ain't never had any marks of separation about your life. No marks or separations about your life. You're not ready to die. You're not ready to go anywhere. You know, Jerusalem had a wall about it. When that wall got torn down as a city, when that wall got torn down, you know what all the Jews did? They cried. They mourned. Sounds to me like a lot of Jews have got better sense than some Christians do. Christians feel like if we can just get along with everybody, take the walls down. We just let everybody on the inside and let all our kids on the outside. Just, you know, let people freely come and freely go. Well, that, that means we're really, we're really getting somewhere in life. And yet, I've never seen that anywhere in the New Testament. I've never seen it anywhere in the Old Testament. Just never have seen it. Would to God that Christians understood that a wall was something, that mark of distinction. Would to God that that mark of distinction was something to be treasured, not something to be abhorred. Have some folks make fun of you because you're Christian, because you dress nice and because you walk right. You don't uh, cuss and you don't do all the things that these worldlings do. And they begin to make fun of you and begin to put some pressure on you to kind of conform to their standards. Boy, some Christians just buckle right under that. Others of you just stand straight up and just say, hey, I, I couldn't give a rip. Well, see, that thing right there, that's something to be valued. Oh, those folks down at People's Baptist Church, they're just a bunch of fanatics. Okay, praise the Lord. At least I'm not a fanatic about a cotton-picking football game. Listen, you're talking about fanatics. I am not the guy that gets out there in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and takes my shirt off and puts a big G on my chest. You never find me in public without my shirt on. I almost take a bath, a shower with all my clothes on. Just crazy. Going to get out. I mean, these are fellas in their 40, 40s and 50s. Out there while it's snowing, you've got one side of your face painted green and the other side painted yellow with a cheese block on your head. Go green bay. Go. And here you've got a bunch of Christians that will come and sit in the church and let somebody preach to them about righteousness and about holiness and let God put their families back together while there's a bunch of drunken reprobates sitting in stadiums all across the United States and their families are falling apart and their, their finances are falling apart. Everything they got going on in their life is falling apart. And I'm the fanatic. You've lost your ever-loving mind. You have lost your ever... You're out of your senses. You're out of your senses. Bring on the labels. Yes, I am a homophobe. Just the way it is. I'm not scared of them. I just don't like them. Well, I just really think that we should get along with everybody and we should love everybody. How about you tell that to the Lord? Really? I... You, you tell that to the Lord. God said that there's some folks that he hates. Yes, sir. Why is it that we, why is it that Christians, I, I understand, boy, I understand the concept of being, of being kind and compassionate and being concerned about people's eternal state. But boy, that often translates into putting up with stuff that you have no business putting up with. Yes, sir. That's true. What you've been putting up with in the name of, I just want to see them get saved. You don't want to see them get saved. You just don't want to suffer any reproach for the name of Jesus Christ. You know where Christ died? Christ didn't die within, within the city. He went outside the gate. He went outside the gate. He went outside the gate. You know what you're going to have to do if you want to pick up your cross and follow Jesus Christ? You're going to have to suffer reproach outside the gate. The thing that's keeping some of you folks from following the Lord Jesus Christ is you want to be popular. You want to be accepted by everybody. You care too much about what reprobates think of you. I care, I care about what many Christians think of me. But I... I God help me if I ever get to the place to where I care about what this lost, reprobate world cares. The mm-hmm. Bible says, I, I forget where it's at, but the Lord is talking to Christians and He says, Come out from among them. Come out. You're supposed to come out. 
You know what we got a lot of Christians? A lot of Christians are doing right now what homosexuals were doing in the 70s and 80s. 70s and 80s, all the, all the homos were hiding in the closet. Started coming out in the 80s, I guess, maybe somewhere around there. Disney really started pushing that stuff. Disney had been providing uh, health care for your uh, same gender partner since 1993. They've been, they've been on the, that board. They've been on that train for a long time. But see, all the homosexuals, they came, started coming out of the closet, I guess, in the 70s and 80s. And about that same time, all the Christians started going in. Don't want to don't upset the apple cart. Don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. I'm not out to hurt nobody's feelings, but God help me, I'm not going to apologize for the Lord's. God ain't got nothing to apologize for. Lord, you, listen, if you're in here this morning, you lost, Jesus Christ died for your sins. God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Uh, you've been, you're sitting in here lost this morning. You've been raised in church. You know those verses, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you are the enemy of God. God is not, God is not looking to kiss you on the mouth. You're under the wrath of an almighty God who sent His Son to die for your sins. He loved you. He sent His Son to die for your sins. But I'm telling you, God is not going to apologize for bringing judgment down on your life because you reject the payment that His Son made for you. Got the wrong idea. Boy, how that bleeds over into our hearts and lives. It bleeds over into a bunch of Christians. Somebody once said this a little section of a poem. But somebody said, they of the church and they of the world journeyed closely hand and heart, and none but the master who knoweth all could discern the two apart. You know what's going on right now? We've got churches all across the world, all across this country, that are journeying hand and heart together with this old world, and nobody can ever tell the difference anymore. You know how hard it is to get folks into church nowadays? Very hard. I... I Ironic, this past week I witnessed to two Puerto Rican folks. Maybe the Lord wants some Puerto Rican people to come to church here. Man, I'd love it. Get some of you bumpkins to learn Spanish. <laughs> Man, I'd, I'd love it. Get some Puerto Ricans in here. Man, start a Puerto Rican church. They're everywhere in St. Mary's. Yes, sir. All in Jacksonville. Hey, but I tell you what, start witnessing the folks. It's real hard to get folks to come to church. You say, why is that? Why is it not much of a difference between church folks and worldlings now? What's the need to come to church? What's the need to come to church? Let me say second of all, step on a little bit here. Let me say second of all, he prayed unto the Lord. He turned his face to the, to the wall and he prayed unto the Lord. And you know what's going to happen? A lot of folks are going to get down to the end of their life and they're going to find out because they got no separation. They're going to find it real hard to pray at the end of their life. Man, it's ironic that Brother Spike made that statement this morning when he opened up Sunday school. He made the statement, man, I've met some old folks that are not saints. They're senior devils. They're not senior saints. They're senior devils. Because I got it in my notes to address that. Hmm. That just coincidence, I'm sure. You know, there's a, there's a notion in this, especially here in the South. Boy, there's a notion that as soon as you turn 60 or turn 55, all of a sudden you become spiritual overnight. And that's wrong. That is wrong. I have heard preacher after preacher stand behind a pulpit in different churches and look out at the folks that are... I don't have nothing against folks that are 55, 60, or 70 years old. The Bible says that you're supposed to honor the people with gray hair. That's what you're supposed to do. Whether they're spiritual or not, you're supposed to render them honor. But that don't make you spiritual. I've heard preacher after preacher stand up in a pulpit all, all across this country. I've heard them stand up and brag on the older folks. And I've sat, I've sat in some churches to where I knew the older folks that they was talking about and knew what devils they were. And preacher just stand up and brag on them no way. I sat in the church one time and listened to a fellow brag on an older lady. And my soul, that lady was one of the most bitter, cantankerous, hateful women I've ever met in my life. Nothing was right with anybody. Always. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Not going to back up off of that stuff. The Bible says, Job said, Job said, you're supposed to honor folks with gray hair. But Job said, great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. 
Just because you get a little, little bit of age on you does not mean that you're wise. You know, where that, you know where that wisdom comes from? It comes from fellowship with the Lord. I've met some teenagers that have got more sense than some 70-year-olds. years 70 year olds. You say, where's that come from? This one over here is fellowshipping with the Lord, and this one over here is fellowshipping with themselves. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What about it? That going to be you? You're going to get down to your dying day. Listen, you're going to get down to your dying day and try and turn and pray. And because you ain't lived a life that's got you on praying ground, you ain't going to get through to the Lord. You're not going to get through to the Lord. Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, here Hezekiah, he prayed to the Lord. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, Asa got a disease in his feet. And the Bible said that before he died, he sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians. You know who a lot of folks are praying to in their older years? They're praying to physicians. Not trusting the Lord. Somehow the Lord's strong enough. I'm not talk, talking bad about getting medical care. I'm not talking bad about that. You got cancer, you need to go see a doctor. Do it, do it. I'm not a doctor. All I'm telling you is some folks have got confidence in the Lord to save their soul, but they ain't got confidence in the Lord to take care of what's ailing them in the body. Some don't make much sense about that. You got confidence for the Lord to change your destination from hell to heaven, and yet you don't have confidence in the Lord to manage your affairs in this life. Some don't make sense about that. Something just don't make sense about that. Just don't make sense. You say, that's not me. Boy, I got, I got confidence in my Savior. Well, you don't miss an opportunity for your prescription to get filled. Do you miss an opportunity to go down to the church? I'm telling you, man, you run into some folks who wouldn't dream of letting their Xanax run dry. But they ain't, they ain't going to pick up a Bible every day. All that shows is who you got more confidence in. That's all it shows. You wouldn't dream of letting little Johnny's riddling run dry, but you sure ain't going to sit him down and read the scripture to him or pray for him every day. Listen to me. Listen to me. I'll tell you what's wrong with some of your kids. See how that creates a little bit of an edge? I'm not trying to be a smart eye. I'll tell you what's wrong with some of your kids. You don't pray for them. It's just really that simple. How, how does it stand to reason, Brother Spike, that some kids nowadays can go to public school and come out making it reasonably well? All I can figure is somebody praying for them left and right. And I'm not an advocate for sending your kids to public school. I don't think that's a wise decision. But I'll tell you this, if you pray for them, if you pray for them, they have a better chance of making it than if you just kind of just go on through life and just do whatever the blazes you want to do. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, boy, we're not having a very good time this morning. Let me say this. I close with this. Hezekiah said, he got down here. Look at verse 3. Isaiah 38, verse 3. The Bible said, Hezekiah said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth, and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. You know what that old dying thief said before he went out into eternity? He looked over at the one that was hanging right next to him, and he said, remember me. Would you just remember me? You know what the Lord said? Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Let me ask you something. You're sitting in here this morning, you're not saved, you never trusted Christ as your Savior. You need to get to the place where you can turn over and look at the one who died on the cross for your sins and say, Oh, God, remember me. Lord, would you remember me? Let me apply this right here in Isaiah chapter 38. The Bible said that the Lord, when Noah was up there in the ark, the Bible said that while God was bringing down all that judgment, rain and judgment out of heaven, the Bible said that the Lord remembered Noah. Remembered him. You know what was said about Noah in a couple of chapters earlier than that? It said, these are the generations of Noah. He was a just man. He was a just man. He was a just man in his generations. Wouldn't it be wonderful to get to the end of your life and be able, wherever it is you're lying on your deathbed, getting ready to go out and meet God in eternity? I'm not talking about asking the Lord to remember what well you've done so that you could be saved. But be able to turn over and say, God, 
I'm getting ready to come see you. Would you just remember what I've done for you in this life? I ain't wasted my time. I ain't spent a whole bunch of time watching movies and playing video games and messing around with my phone. But I've tried to do something for you. I've tried to win people to Christ. And Lord, I've tried to be a witness. And I've tried to be ready when somebody came to talk to me about something spiritual. I've tried to study the Bible to where I was ready to talk to them about it. I contributed to my church. God, I, I did what I could. You going to be able to do that? Oh, God. Remember, I pray you. I pray you just remember how I've tried to walk before you with a perfect heart. God, would you remember me? You know what happened in this case? Isaiah 38, you know what happened in this case? That prophet who was walking out before he got out of the courtroom, before he got out of that king's palace, God came down and tapped him on the shoulder and he said, go back and tell that fella I've heard him. I'm going to give him 15 more years. You just don't know. You just don't know. God help us, Lord, this morning. I pray, God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts and deal with us, God, this morning. Lord, I pray, God, Lord, that you'd arrest our hearts, God, arrest our affections, Lord, and help us, God, to see and understand, God, that this is real, Lord. One day this is all going to come to an end. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be ready to meet you. God, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, not to have had a wasted life, God, something, Lord, that we've sat here, God, and just thrown away time, thrown away second after second, minute after minute, hour after hour, year after year, God, Lord, chasing, Lord, the foolish things of this life. God, there's plenty of things, Lord, that we have to take care of as people, as men, as women, God, that live in fleshly bodies. But God, I pray that you'd help us to be busy about our Father's work. I pray that you'd help us, God, to be ingenious, God, and being creative, Lord, about doing, Lord, what you've told us to do. Help us to get the gospel out. God, help us, Lord, to make a mark, Lord, in this little town. Help us, Lord, to make a mark in this state, in this country. God, help us to do everything we can. I forget who it was, but somebody said, if you set yourself on fire for the Lord, people will come to watch you burn. God, may that be true about us. God, may we be a candle set on a hill, God. Lord, help us not, not to hide our light under a bushel. God, help us, Lord, this morning. Some have come this morning. You feel like God spoke to your heart and you need to come pray. Why don't you come do that? Why don't you come pray this morning? Do business with God as he leads you.